907 in the back of your hymn book. Going to read Articles 8 and 9. Article 8, the serious call of the gospel. And then Article 9, human responsibility for rejecting the gospel. Then we'll open the Word of God to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Article 8, on the bottom of page 907. Nevertheless, all who are called through the Gospel are called seriously. For seriously and most genuinely, God makes known in His Word what is pleasing to Him, that those who are called should come to Him. Seriously, he also promises rest for their souls and eternal life to all who come to him and believe. Article 9. The fact that many who are called through the ministry of the gospel do not come and are not brought to conversion must not be blamed on the gospel, nor on Christ who is offered through the gospel, nor on God who calls them through the gospel and even bestows various gifts on them, but on the people themselves who are called. Some, in self-assurance, do not even entertain the word of life. Others do, entertainment, and, uh, others do entertain it, but do not take it to heart. And for that reason, after the fleeting joy of a temporary faith, they relapse. Others choke the seed of the word with the thorns of life's cares and with the pleasures of the world and bring forth no fruits. This our Savior teaches in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, but also in Mark 4. So let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Serious call of the gospel, Mark 4, 1 through 20. And again, he began to teach by the sea. The great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and a whole multitude was on the land facing the sea that he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. It happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, 
and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So far the reading of God's word. What is the purpose of parables? In Mark 4, Jesus was teaching by the side of the lake. The crowds are so large that he decided to get into a boat and go out a little way from the shore facing the people who were standing or sitting on the sloping bank. With the water acting as a sounding board, Jesus was able to be heard by thousands of people. We read in verse 2 that as he sat in the boat, he taught them many things by parables. Why did he speak in parables? When you examine his teaching in the Gospels, you discover that his style was varied. His Sermon on the Mount was logical, well-ordered, and rather lengthy. His discourses in the upper room were quite dense and profound. Sometimes Jesus used language that was very pictorial. He talked about a camel going through the eye of a needle. He spoke of whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. He spoke of people with planks in their eyes trying to remove specks from the eyes of others. He spoke of casting pearls before swine. He spoke of believers as salt and light in the world. Jesus also sometimes used powerful and memorable one-line sayings. And on other occasions, he preached as an evangelist, calling the people to repent and believe the gospel. And so his style of teaching was unique and varied. And one of the ways he taught was by means of parables. There are some 27 or so parables recorded in the four Gospels. I say 27 or so because some may be different versions of the same parable. What are parables? Well, parables are stories drawn from real-life situations which are meant to teach spiritual truths. Sometimes preachers use illustrations of their sermons to drive home a certain point, to clarify a certain truth. But when you look, when you look at Jesus' parables, you discover that this is only partially the case. 
Rather than clarifying the subject, his parables sometimes confused people. In Mark 4, verse 10, we read that when he was alone, his disciples asked him about the parable. Matthew's gospel tells us that they asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why? Look what Jesus said in Mark 4, verse 11. Have a look, Mark 4, 11. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. What was the purpose of parables? To reveal to his disciples the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, while veiling those mysteries from others who had rejected him. Rather than using parables to clarify his teaching, Jesus needed to provide teaching to help clarify the parables. He used parables at this specific stage in his ministry because opposition to his teaching was increasing. Parables were intentionally used to conceal the truth from those who did not receive him. He explained the parables to his followers so that they received greater light, but to the rest, the parables were interesting but pointless stories which they did not understand. In verse 12, Jesus quoted from the prophecy of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, who lived some 700 years before Jesus, had a very difficult task. God told him that his preaching would further harden the people in their sin. It would put a veil over the eyes of those with hard hearts. Jesus, in verse 12, quoted from Isaiah 6 and said, This is what my parables are going to do to many within Israel. They will put a veil over their eyes. Large crowds came to hear him. They saw his miracles and heard his teaching, but they would not listen and believe. Therefore, as a sign of judgment on the unbelieving, Jesus spoke to them in parables. They were intentionally obscure. For his followers, explanation was so provided so as to, receive, as to reveal greater spiritual truths, the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom. For his followers, parables brought wonderful light. But for those who rejected him, parables were incomprehensible. Jesus used them to both conceal and reveal. Let's have a look then at this first parable spoken by our Lord. Commonly known as the parable of the sower, through it we see the serious call of the gospel. As we hear the teaching of our Lord, may we all be receptive so that we may know the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of God and be fruitful for him. So I direct your attention this afternoon to three things, the sower, the seed, and the soils. First, the sower. In verse 3, Jesus said, Listen, behold, a sower, a farmer, went out to sow. Jesus utilized what would have been a common sight for the people in the crowd, that of a farmer going out to sow seed. 
A farmer would sling a bag of seed over his shoulder and walk up and down the field, taking seed out of the bag with his hand and casting it down on either side of him. You've probably seen pictures. Who is this farmer that Jesus is talking about? This man with a bag of seed over his shoulder. Well, it is Jesus himself. It is Jesus himself. In the parable of the tares recorded in Matthew 13, Jesus identified the sower. He said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. He who sows the good seed is the son of man. When he taught the crowds, he was sowing. When he proclaimed the will of God, he was sowing. When you read the first three chapters of Mark's gospel, you see the sower planting his seed. He taught in the synagogues, in homes, and by the sea. He walked up and down the field, as it were, casting seed on either side of him. And the sower is not only Jesus, but also his disciples. Jesus called and appointed the twelve so that, like him, they would also be sowers. If you look back to chapter 3 and verse 14, you read that Jesus appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. You can see in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus sends them out two by two to bring the word. And later on, after the ascension of Jesus, the apostles walked through the fields, as it were, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They walked through the fields, casting seed wherever they went. The congregation, the sowers today, are all those who are called and ordained to proclaim the message of salvation. And there is also a sense in which all believers are sowers. Every member of the church, we are to walk the fields in our generation, the fields of Aylmer, St. Thomas, Tilsonburg, and so on, and we are to cast the seed wherever we go. So the sower in this parable is, first of all, Jesus. Then the apostles, then ordained office bearers, that all believers who are charged to declare the truth of God. Parents are also sowers. You sow the seed in your homes. More on that in a moment. Secondly, what is the seed? What is the seed? In verse 14, Jesus said, the farmer, the sower, sows what? The word. And Luke 8, 11 tells us the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word which proclaims Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the lost. The seed is the word which reveals the way to, to life and salvation. It is the word of the kingdom. It is the life-giving message of salvation in Jesus. Mark's gospel begins how? Well, it begins with John the Baptist preaching the message of repentance and the remission of sins. Then in the 14th verse of chapter 1, we read that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The seed is the gospel of the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, 
as a simple seed can grow into a beautiful plant and produce a bountiful crop. So the Word of God can produce an incredible harvest for the glory of God. The Apostle Peter said that the seed of the Word brings people to new birth. New birth. 1 Peter 1.23 For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Even as the mighty Word brought all of creation into being, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. The Lord spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord said, let there be and it was so. Even as the word of the Lord brought all things into existence, so the word of the Lord has power to bring about new birth. Born again. Through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Congregation, the church has been entrusted with the word. As the farmer slings the bag of seed over his shoulder and walks up and down the furrows of the field, casting the seed down on either side of him, so the church has a task to spread the gospel of the kingdom. The parable of the sower reminds us of the importance of proclaiming the saving gospel of Christ. John the Baptist spread the seed of the word. Jesus spread the seed. The apostles spread the seed. The church for 2,000 years has been spreading the seed. And now, we in the year 2023 are charged with the task of sowing the seed so that men, women, and children may find new life in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the Canons of Dort, Article 8, rightly states that all who are called through the gospel are called seriously, earnestly, unfeignedly. God seriously promises rest for their souls and eternal life to all who come to him and believe. God's call to sinners is genuine. It's genuine. He's serious when he calls all the world to repent. It is pleasing to him when sinners come to him and believe. God means it when he says, through his messengers, through his church, come to Christ and be reconciled. Come to Christ and be reconciled. Which brings us to point number three. We move from the sower and the seed to the soils. The soils. What is the ground upon which the seed falls? It's the human heart. Verse 15 says, the word that was sown in their hearts. The four different soil conditions represent four different kinds of hearts that hear the gospel. There is bad soil and there is good soil. Jesus began his explanation of this parable by describing three situations in which the seed does not take root, grow, and produce a harvest. There are three kinds of hearers who are unfruitful. The packed ground, the stony ground, and the thorny ground. 
Canons Article 9 says, the fact that many who are called through the ministry of the gospel do not come and are not brought to conversion must not be blamed on the gospel, nor on Christ who is offered through the gospel, nor on God who calls them through the gospel. The fault lies in themselves. The fault lies in themselves. It is because of the spiritual rottenness of the human heart that people will not come to Christ, regardless of how clearly, beautifully, or earnestly the gospel is presented. Notice, first of all, the packed ground. The packed ground. Fields in Palestine often had narrow paths that separated one field from from the next. These paths were used by farmers to walk from one field to another. They were also used by travelers. Because of the traffic on these paths, the soil on and beside the paths became hard packed. They were not plowed. Therefore, when the farmer would accidentally throw some seed on the path, it wouldn't be able to take root and grow. Instead of growing, the seed became food for the birds. The birds came and devoured it. They quickly took away the exposed seed. Jesus said that this hard-packed soil represents the hard hearts. The word is proclaimed, but it does not sink in, and Satan quickly snatches it away. The person described in verse 15 is one whose heart has been hardened by sin. God's truth does not move him. God's law does not crush him. God's love does not draw him. The gospel does not soften him. As the older version of Article 9 says, regardless of their danger, they reject the word of life. Our newer version says, some in self-assurance do not even entertain the word of life. They hear the preaching of the word, but they have little heart for the things of God. They may listen to a preacher. They may sit in church on Sunday, but they don't allow the word to change their own life. They are calloused to it. The longer a person rejects the word, the more the soil of his heart is packed down so that Satan easily snatches it away. The person described in verse 15 is one who hears a sermon, one who hears a sermon, but 10 minutes later his mind is on other things. The message is like water off a duck's back. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't meditate upon it. There is no lasting interest in what was said, and the word produces no change in attitude or life. One preacher of the 1800s said this. He's very pointed. Listen. There are myriads of professing Christians in this state of soul. There is hardly a church where they are not to be found. Sunday after Sunday, they allow the devil to catch away the good seed that is sown on the face of their hearts. Week after week, they live on 
without faith, without fear or knowledge or grace, feeling nothing, caring nothing, taking no more interest in religion than if Christ had never died on the cross at all. And in this state, they often die and are buried and are lost forever in hell. This is a mournful picture, but only too true. And in this state, they often die and are buried and are lost forever in hell. This is a mournful picture, but only too true. Brothers and sisters, such people can be regular church attenders. Week after week, month after month, they hear the word but Satan snatches the seed away. Jesus knew that many people in the crowd who heard him preach had hard hearts. Covenant people. Covenant people with hard hearts. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the chief priests heard the message, but stubbornly resisted it. Little did they realize that Satan and his demons were snatching the word from them. Congregation, may there be no one like that here in our assembly. Satan hates the word. If there's anything he wants to snatch from you, it's the word of life. That word threatens his domain. Dear friends, as you sit under the proclamation of the word, it is Christ himself who is addressing you. It is Christ who is sowing the seed on the soil of your heart. You can expect that Satan will come and try to snatch the seed away. If your heart is stubborn and hard and the seed does not penetrate, he will take it away. If there is lack of repentance in your life, if there is sin that you're unwilling to give up, if there's rebellion in your heart, pride or stubbornness, then Satan will snatch away the word. And this can happen not only in church under the preaching of the word, but also in our homes. Children, young people, hear this. When your parents come to you with the word, how do you respond? Do you resist it? Do you ignore it? Does it go in one ear and out the other? Do you say, oh, there goes dad again, or there goes mom again? When your parents point you to Jesus Christ and try to teach you biblical principles of godly living, how do you respond? Young people, how do you respond? Satan loves to see the seed fall on hard-packed soil so that it can't take root in your life. He wants you to be hardened by rebellion, self-sufficiency, arrogance, and a know-it-all spirit. Ultimately, he wants you to trample the Son of God underfoot and insult the Spirit of grace. 
Beware that you do not allow Satan to snatch that word from your heart. How tragic, how utterly tragic is the unresponsive hard heart. But congregation equally tragic is the stony ground. The stony ground. Jesus spoke of that in verse 16. The seed sown on stony ground represents those who hear the word and immediately receive it with gladness. But because they have no root, they endure only for a time. In Palestine, there were areas where the workable farmland was located on top of layers of rock, mostly limestone. In some places, there was a very thin layer of soil covering the limestone. In those places where the soil was shallow, the seed would spring up quickly, but when the sun beat down on the plant, it would wither away because it had no root. The plant had no moisture. Jesus said that some people are like this. They hear the word. They offer no resistance. Everything appears to be wonderful. There's perhaps an emotional response, and they seem to be excited about the gospel and the Christian life. Such a person may express love for God, for the church, for the preacher, for the gospel. He may be faithful in church attendance. He may appear to be the opposite of those whose hearts are hard. But sadly, he's no different. He's no different. Just because there's a bit of soil over the rock, it's still rock. It's still hard. The seed does not penetrate. It springs up. The person may even put other Christians to shame with his joyful and lively spirit. But the end result is no different from the hard and unresponsive heart. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 17. They have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. You see, there's such a thing as a shallow heart, a shallow emotional response to the gospel which doesn't truly penetrate the mind, the will, and the heart. The change in the person's life is only superficial. As Article 9 says, they do entertain the word of life, but do not take it to heart, and for that reason, after the fleeting joy of a temporary faith, they relapse they fall away. When such a person begins to be ridiculed at work, when he faces trials in the Christian life, when he begins to suffer for the faith, when there is a price to be paid for being a disciple, then he stumbles. A person may be emotionally affected at a revival meeting by an appeal from a dynamic evangelist. He may raise his hand or sign a card or walk to the front of the church. But if it is nothing more than a spur-of-the-moment emotional response with no counting of the cost, he will soon fall away when trouble comes for the word's sake. Unless there is true conviction of sin and genuine love for the Savior, and a hunger for righteousness, and a willingness to suffer, it will only be a matter of time before he falls away and returns to his old way of life. 
how incredibly sad it is when the seed of the word does not fully penetrate the heart. I have seen such a tragedy unfold in one congregation. A man seemed to be dramatically converted. It appeared to be wonderful. The church rejoiced. He confessed his sin, attended church, straightened out his life, and studied the word. But sometime later, when something came up that he didn't like, he left the church, left his Christian friends, and as far as I know, he never returned. Looking back, it seems as though he may have had this shallow emotional response to the message of salvation, but it did not fully penetrate the heart. He tasted something of God's love and grace. He tasted something of God's love and grace, but it seems that perhaps it was not true conversion. Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And then Jesus mentioned not only packed ground and stony ground, but also thorny ground. Thorny ground. When a farmer sowed the seed, there was some that fell among the thorns. No sooner did the crop begin to grow that the thorns came up with it. And after a time, the thorns choked out the grain and it yielded no crop. The thorns would crowd out the plants, take the moisture out of the ground, deprive the plants of their nourishment, and eventually choke and kill them. Jesus said that the thorny ground represents those who are distracted by the things of this Life. Go to verse 18. Verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And verse 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The person with a distracted heart may listen to the word and agree with the preaching. But the seed is not able to properly develop and bear fruit because the person's first true love is the world and the things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life chokes out the word. Paul spoke of such a man in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Remember his name? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. John warned in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Congregation, in North America, Soil number three is perhaps far more common than soil number two, right? We don't face a great deal of persecution for the word, at least not yet. But we do face many deceptive promises of pleasure, wealth, and materialism, don't we? Every week you have a half a dozen flyers in your mailbox. They're trying to sell you toys, computer games, tools, new clothes, jewelry, gadgets, pages and pages of things that you don't need, but the flyer tells you that you deserve them. You deserve them. 
You deserve more possessions, more, bigger, faster, better, shinier, a new truck, a new boat, a new motorhome, a new four-wheeler, a new tractor, a new cottage, a new tablet, a new iPhone. Of course, we may legitimately buy such things. But my point is this. We are so easily choked in our materialistic culture. We pursue all the modern gadgets and greater riches. And like the thorns in Jesus' parable, all these things slowly and gradually tend to strangle our spiritual life. Prosperity can be a great blessing when it is used wisely for the advancement of God's kingdom. But we need to beware of Jesus' warning that riches and the desire for material things have a tendency to choke the word so that we become unfruitful. Our hearts easily become distracted by the cares of this world and the desire for material prosperity so that we have no room for spiritual concerns. Remember how Jesus told that familiar story of a man whose farm did so well that he tore down his barns and built bigger ones. And he said to himself, you have many goods, laid up for many years, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? His farm, wealth, and abundance choked the word, and he had no room for spiritual concerns. Dear friends, it is possible to come to church every week with very little profit because the heart is distracted with business, investments, farming, home improvements, keeping up with the neighbors. As someone once said, buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like with money you don't have. A man can sit in church while thinking about tomorrow's pleasures and money-making plans. Care and riches and the desire for more things choke the word. Like the thorns choke the crop and his life remains unfruitful. Does that describe any of you? And there's one more class of people that Jesus speaks of in this parable. Not everyone is hard or shallow or distracted in their hearing of the word. There are also those who are very receptive and Jesus compares them to good ground. It isn't packed hard from people walking over it. It is deep enough for the roots to grow downward and it is free from the roots of thorns. Jesus said, verse 20, that the good ground represents those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. The soil of their heart is rightly prepared and fertile. 
God has opened their ears, their minds, and their hearts to the riches of his word, and he has given them a teachable spirit. In the midst of hard hearts, shallow hearts, and distracted hearts, there are also fertile hearts where the gospel takes solid root and flourishes. Verse 20 says that from such well-prepared ground comes a crop. Those with receptive hearts vary in their fruit-bearing, yet each one bears fruit, amazing fruit, a hundredfold, sixty and thirty. When the word is firmly planted in well-cultivated soil, there will be a harvest of righteousness. The word is put into practice, and the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The good soil represents those who believe in Christ, trust Him as Savior of the world, love Him more than anything else, and want His word to be the foundation for their life. They produce a harvest of good works out of love for Christ. So, congregation, this parable forces us to consider the question, do you have a receptive heart? If there are four ways to respond to the Word of God, what is your response? Is your heart hard-packed from continual rejection of the Word? You're sitting here today, but you really don't care what the Word is saying to you? If you fall into that class, then even this very sermon is compacting the soil of your heart. Or is the soil of your heart perhaps shallow and superficial? Below the surface is that hard layer of rock that isn't being penetrated. Or is the soil of your heart infested with the thorns of the cares and desires of this world? You're running after everything the world offers, but neglecting the Word. If you fall into any of these three classes, I urge you to turn to the divine sower who has the ability to break the hard soil of your heart, who has the power to uproot the rocks beneath the surface, and who has the strength to remove the thorns. Turn to the divine sower. O oh Lord, break the hard soil of my heart. Remove the rocks and the thorns and make my heart receptive to your word. Make my heart well-tilled, fertile ground so that I may bear fruit for the praise of your glorious name. Dear people, do you have a receptive heart? Are you sensitive to God's truth? Has the Word of God penetrated so that you've turned from sin, put your faith in Jesus, and are producing works of righteousness? Article 8 says, God earnestly promises rest of soul and eternal life to all who come to Him and believe. 
If God has given you ears to hear, if he has given you a heart to understand, then praise him for his goodness and grace. He has broken the soil and made it soft by his spirit. God has enabled you to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, and he enables you to bear fruit so that you have become a sower casting seed upon the field. Congregation, what a blessing and privilege to have a heart for God and for his son, Jesus Christ. May he grant to each one of you ears to hear so that you love the Savior, live for him, and build your life on his revealed will. Then, as the righteous man of Psalm 1 You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we need your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to respond rightly to your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you in your mercy would prepare the soil of our hearts, each and every one of us here. When that seed is sown, whether it be from this pulpit, whether it be in our homes to our young people and our children, whether it be out in our community, Lord, that you will soften hearts to receive the message, to respond rightly to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, to turn to the divine sower and to bear much fruit, hundredfold, sixty and thirty. We desire, Lord, to bear fruit. We pray that you will allow us that gracious gift in the course of the short life that we have to bear much fruit for the glory and praise of the divine sower. We pray, Lord, that there would be no one here, even this afternoon, with that hard heart or that superficial, shallow heart heart, or that thorn-infested heart, that, Lord, each one of us here may be as well-tilled soil, receiving the word, building our life upon it, being a blessing to others through it, giving glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And so receive our praises as we conclude this service. And may the devil not quickly snatch away the seed of the word. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.